America, nobody can serve God and the military. You can't serve God and money. You cannot serve God and mammon at the same time. America, choose ye this day whom you will serve. Welcome to Baptist Without an Adjective, a podcast of Word and Way. I'm your host, Word and Way editor and president, Brian Kaler. On this program, we'll hear from Baptists from across the denominational, ethnic, national, and ideological lines that too often divide us. At Word and Way, we've been informing and inspiring Baptists since 1896. Learn more about us at wordandway.org. This episode is sponsored in part by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. The Cooperative Baptist Fellowship is a network of people and churches working together to spread the hope of Christ. For more than 25 years, CBF has been driven by its mission to serve Christians and churches as they discover and fulfill their God-given mission. Join the fellowship at work in long-term global missions in more than 25 countries. Join them too as they strive to form healthy congregations and support the ministers that serve them. Put your faith to action. Visit cbf.net to get connected. In this episode, we're going to take a special look at some religious rhetoric in an important political campaign. On January 5th, the control of the U.S. Senate is up for grabs as two runoff elections will be held in Georgia. If Democrats win both of them, then they will gain control with the tie-breaking vote of then-to-be Vice President Kamala Harris. But if Republicans win one or more, then they will maintain control of the Senate. Now, we're not endorsing any candidates in either of those races, and I can't even vote in either one of them. But I do think it's important to look at the religious rhetoric that is happening in one of the races. You see, the Democratic candidate in one of the two elections is Raphael Warnock. He's the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, that's a famous church. Martin Luther King Sr. and Martin Luther King Jr. both served as pastors there. They were both there as co-pastors when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. It is where he and his wife are buried It's the historic older church, and across the street is now the much larger building. It's a really significant site, and if you're in Atlanta, I would really encourage you to go and visit. It was a special occasion to be able to be there a couple of years ago and to visit that site. But Warnock's in this runoff election, and one thing that has happened that is frankly quite problematic, and that is that his opponent, as well as some of her political allies— have been going through some of his old sermons and pulling out little snippets. We're talking 10, 15 seconds out of context sometimes and then using these in attack ads. So what we have is we have a Baptist preacher being attacked for what he has said in a sermon as if that somehow disqualifies him from political office. This seems to be getting pretty close to the spirit of the U.S. Constitution's prohibition on religious tests for office. And so what I wanted to do is just play a couple of clips from Reverend Warnock that have become controversial in the campaign. Because I think as we're seeing national media paying attention to religion and politics in this particular race, that it's important that we take a look at what is and isn't being said and what does this mean for all of us. Now, the clip that has received the most attention is a really short clip that comes from a sermon that Reverend Warnock preached in 2011. And it's a sermon in which he's preaching some pretty basic Sermon on the Mount and other biblical passages. 
but it's garnered some attention as his critics, and this includes not only the Republican incumbent senator that he is running against, Kelly Loeffler, but also other U.S. senators like Marco Rubio of Florida, as well as some conservative media outlets have played this clip and said that this means that Reverend Warnock is anti-military, unpatriotic, anti-American, and thus is unfit for office because of what he said in this sermon. So first of all, I want to play the shorter clip that has been posted on Twitter and elsewhere by his opponent. And then I'm going to start it again and play a longer segment from the sermon. The video that the clip was taken from is not the complete sermon, but this is a longer clip from that video that was used in this attack ad to suggest that there's something anti-American and perhaps even unchristian about Reverend Warnock. America, nobody can serve God and the military. You can't serve God and money. You cannot serve God and mammon at the same time. America, choose ye this day whom you will serve. Choose ye this day. And now here's a longer segment from that sermon. America, nobody can serve God and the military. You can't serve God and money. You cannot serve God and mammon at the same time. America, choose ye this day whom you will serve. Choose ye this day. So politicians try to keep their power. And political parties lie in order to keep their power. And church folk, yeah, you too. Maneuver inside of God's house. Come on, say amen, somebody. In order to keep your power. And Jesus says, that's not power, that's paranoia. Because when you've got real power, you're not worried about your place in the world. You know how to be exalted, and you know how to be a base. You know how to sit high, and you know how to sit low, and you're not worried about your place in the world because you're connected with something that's greater than you and you're concerned about something that's greater than yourself. And so when you have real power, guess what? Jesus says you'll lay it down so that somebody else can have some power. Real power will lay itself down on behalf of the powerless. And so check out Jesus. He says, I lay it down, and I'm going to pick it up again. I'm going to lay it down, and I'm going to pick it up again. I'm going to lay it down. How long are you going to lay it down, Jesus? I'm going to lay it down just long enough so I can bleed. And I've got to bleed so I can bless. I've got to become sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. Why are you laying down your power, Jesus? Jesus says, I've got to bear the cross so you can wear a crown. I've got to die so that you might live. I've got to stoop down low in order to lift you up high. 
I've got to give up my home in heaven so that you might live in bright mountains above. I'm going to show you how to have real power. You ought to decrease so that Christ might increase. You ought to give, get up over yourself. You ought to die every now and then. Die of your power. Die of your sense of self-importance. Die of your hubris. Die of your arrogance. Every now and then when you see some young person, when you see some weak person, when you see some struggling person, you ought to get over your portfolio and your credentials and your sense of self-importance and lay your power down so that somebody else might be lifted up Now, what comes clear from the sermon is that Warnock is citing Scripture. I mean, that's what he's being attacked for, not just in the longer clip, but even the shorter clip that was played. He's very clearly citing Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount saying, you cannot serve two masters. It's that simple. You will love the one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. That's all there is to it. Jesus doesn't give us a room to serve God and something or someone else. And then, of course, there's also allusion to passages in Joshua about choose ye this day who you will serve. This is very biblical stuff. And so it's fascinating to see Reverend Warnock attacked politically by people professing to believe the Bible, professing to read the Bible, but attacked for quoting the Bible. So he actually brought up that point in a debate between himself and Senator Leffler on December 6th. And this is what he had to say about the attacks like this one and some others that she had been making about his sermons. And so she's continued uh, to misrepresent my record. Uh, she's lied not only on me, but on Jesus. I mean, everybody's clear about what that passage uh, is about in Matthew. You can't serve two masters. And she should have listened to the lesson. Uh, maybe she wouldn't be so focused on herself. She'd be thinking about the people she's supposed to represent. Another short sermon clip that Senator Leffler and others have pulled out of a larger sermon to criticize Reverend Warnock about comes from a 2016 sermon in which he made some comments about people needing to repent for supporting Trump and for America's worship of whiteness. And that's really all that gets put in the attacks on Reverend Warnock. And so we should probably put a little bit of context to this. And then we're going to listen to a longer segment from his sermon. It was a sermon that came during a worship service at the end of a two-day conference on contemporary theology. It was held by the School of Theology there at Emory University in Atlanta. And this conference on contemporary theology was being held just before the 2016 presidential election. In fact, it occurred just after the Access Hollywood recording of Donald Trump had come out where he talks about getting away with sexual assault on women because he was a star, a celebrity, and people would let him do it. And that is clearly what Warnock re refers to in this sermon. He doesn't actually name Trump by name, but it's clear who he's talking about. And, and his sermon is about, well, the title is How Towers Tumble, and it's a very much thinking about a text from Genesis 11. They said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into the heaven and let us make for ourselves a name. And then he's talking about what does this teach us about building towers that tumble? 
So here's the, the longer clip, and you'll hear those couple of phrases that were used against him in political ads. Recognize what's going on in the world and the fierce winds of change are blowing through our nation, like it or not. The complexion of our nation is changing, like it or not. Change is a coming, like it or not. We have before us an opportunity to make a decision. Will, will we repent? And if it is true that a man who has dominated the news and poisoned the discussion for months needs to repent, then it is doubly true that a nation that can produce such a man and make his vitriol go viral needs to repent. I don't, no matter what happens next month, more than a third of the nation that would go along with this is reason to be afraid. America needs to repent for its worship of whiteness on, on full display this season. How is it that you can insult everybody, all Muslims, something other than children of God, call Mexicans murderers and rapists, insult the disabled. How is it you can insult everybody, but then one weekend somebody discovers in the recording that you insult those whose daughters and wives look like those who have been supporting you, and then all of a sudden we can't take it anymore. <laughs> got to repent for the worship of whiteness. It's worship of money and fame and celebrity and power. The only thing more vile than what he's been saying is what we've been doing. That tape has been playing for a long time. We have power, I have power, so I can do with him whatever I want. Don't, don't just be offended by the crude and vulgarity uh, that you heard on the tape. That tape has been playing for a long time. Whenever we crush the poor, we say to them, I have power and I can do with them whatever I want. Whenever we refuse to raise the minimum wage while demanding that people ought to work, we are saying, I can do with them whatever I want. Whenever Georgia refuses to expand Medicaid, we are saying, I can do to those who are sick and the poor whatever I want. And you ought not be more offended by the tape than you are by the reality that the tape describes. Towers fall when we confuse our construction with God's creation. Towers fall when we would rather bend than break. And towers fall when there is no firm Foundation, hear them again. Come now, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make ourselves great again. But they were so focused on the top that they never considered the bottom. The top, they said, would go all the way up to the heavens, but nobody ever bothered to be concerned about the bottom. But I've got news for you, no matter how impressive or how high the top, the bottom is the foundation. And if you want the tower to be strong, you gotta pay attention to the foundation. 
It's the foundation that makes a nation great. It's the foundation that makes a church great. It's the foundation that makes anything great. America is already a great nation. Yes, it is. And you'd be great, too, if you had 275 years of free labor. You'd be great. It's the foundation that provides strength so you may look impressive. The question is, how firm is the foundation? Is it built on a moral foundation? Is it rooted in the ethics of justice and love? And what Dr. King called the beloved community, is it anchored in faith or is it based upon some spiritual Ponzi scheme? And they built a tower and put their name on it. The Lord came down and scattered them and confused them. But you've got to have a firm foundation. And so again, in the context of what Reverend Warnock is saying, we can understand that this is very much a deeply theological argument for him. The point of this sermon is not political, it is to understand this text in a conference on theology, but recognizing that if you're going to talk about theology, it it isn't just about what happened thousands of years ago, but it's how do we live that out today, particularly in a conference on contemporary theology, which frankly, I think all theology should be contemporary. It should be related to how do we read the scriptures today, here, and now. While you may disagree with some of his application, he is very much making a deeply theological argument here. I want to play one more clip from Webern Warnock that has attracted criticism as people have argued that people should vote against him and that he's unfit for political office because of comments made in a sermon. This one came in remarks two days after the 2016 presidential election, just after Donald Trump won in 2016, and, and the The clip that has gotten all the attention, I'm going to play a longer clip, as he talks about the moral bankruptcy of the American church as 81% of white evangelicals supported Trump. And you'll actually see then that even in that shorter little clip that this, this isn't actually about Trump as much as about the American church. That's actually the focus of his criticism. He's using Trump merely as a, a symptom to indict someone else. This is actually, again, a theological focus. He's trying to reform the church in this sermon, uh, not focused on defeating Donald Trump, who had just won election two days before. And frankly, I have written plenty of things that fall right along these lines as well, that I do think that this is an indictment on the white evangelical church that will hurt our witness for a generation or longer. And this was an event that was co-sponsored by a number of organizations, including the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty, Their head at the time, Brent Walker, he's since retired, was at the event and offered a few remarks as well. And so again, this is very much a a theological symposium, an event, thinking about religion and culture, and that is about so much more than just that one sentence that he's been criticized for. So here's a slightly longer, the whole, frankly, the whole sermon is very fascinating. I'll have all of these sermons linked in the show notes at podcast.wordandway.org. But this is a clip that gives you more than just one sentence so that you can understand Warnock's argument of what he's making here. And again, I don't think people have to necessarily agree with him 
But I think that we can see that this is a thought-out, theologically-based argument, and that even if you disagree with him theologically, and even if you disagree with him politically, does this really mean that he is somehow unfit for office just because he makes this theological argument? That seems quite problematic. So here's what Reverend Warnock actually had to say. Liberty and religious liberty are in peril. Could it be that America's anti-slavery church, the black church born fighting for freedom, religious freedom and political freedom, is uniquely shaped and situated both to perceive the threat and to lead in the important work of dismantling it? Will the black church, which Manning Marble rightly characterized as a politically ambiguous institution, yet possesses what Gerard Wilmore, who is here, rightly characterized as a cohesive thread of radicalism, live up to the best of its prophetic vocation? Or will it give in to the seduction that has garnered for Mr. Trump an admitted sexual predator, the support of 81% of white evangelicals and 60% of white Catholics? Perhaps more than anything else we have seen in modern times, the rise of Trump and Trumpism on the shoulders of Christians brings into sharp focus the moral bankruptcy of the American church. I have a sneaky suspicion that increasing numbers of millennials, a generation that has little tolerance for, hip, for hypocrisy, will be exercising their religious liberty to studiously avoid the church. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., famed pastor of the church I am privileged to serve, once said that the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in times of comfort and convenience. I would extend that to say that the ultimate measure of an institution is where it stands in times of challenge and controversy. In the quest for freedom and justice, and at a time when many would confuse God and government, Dr. King said that the time comes when silence is betrayal. I submit that for the black church, a church born fighting for liberty and religious liberty, indeed for all of us, regardless of race or religion, that time is now. Now, I mentioned that that particular speech was at an event that was co-sponsored by BJC. And so I do want to share, just to end our episode here, a few remarks by Amanda Tyler. She's the current executive director of BJC. Back on December 2nd, she held a Facebook Live forum with BJC Director of Education, Charles Watson Jr. And they talk about these attacks, much like we're talking about them in this episode. And she made a, a few comments that I think are really important in helping us think about why it's problematic that we see sermons being used as in a political attack to suggest that somebody's unfit for political office. And, and I really do think this is dangerous rhetoric. And so I'm going to end with a clip by Amanda, but I would also, again, this is going to be leaked in the show notes, encourage you to go hear the whole forum. Charles also makes some really important comments, particularly about race. And I don't think that that can be ignored. The fact that we are seeing that it is a black minister that is being treated this way. This is something that we have seen time and time again, that... Black ministers who speak out in the prophetic tradition are somehow treated as not only un-American, but even unchristian. And I think that that racial component in the 
treatment of Reverend Warnock is definitely embedded in this controversy. It's not just that people disagree with his politics, and it's not just that they disagree with his theology. But I want to end with this comment from Amanda Tyler as she talks about why we should all be concerned when sermons given in a church to a congregation are being treated as a political litmus test in a campaign. When you run for office, you kind of know that everything's out there, right? And and that you've, and I, I, from a, from a personal standpoint, I've worked on campaigns before, (laughs) you know, that everything's out there and a good opponent's going to find it. Right. Right. Um, But when you think about sermons in particular, it's different to me than a speech that you might give to a one-time audience or a paper that you wrote um, or an article maybe to kind of get into our next topic in a minute that you might've written for a law journal um, or even a petition that you signed or something like that, you know, because the idea of pastoring a church is, you know, you're, you're called to that position. So over a long period of time, you develop a relationship with the people in the church. You are leading the church in a certain spiritual direction, right? And so to take even one sermon, let alone one line from one sermon out of that larger relationship and context of a pastor in their church, it can be very misleading, right? It doesn't, it doesn't mean that from a constitutional standpoint or, you know, uh, you know, even a fair game standpoint that it has to be off limits. But I think that we have to, I think it helps to add that layer of context to what's going on and to fail to think about that context, I think can lead us in a direction that really threatens religious freedom, which is core to what, of course we do. Um, and, and threatens even that concept of, of a religious test, right? Of, of that concept of imposing in some way a religious test for public office to say that some view that you hold um, because a religious view that you hold would somehow disqualify you for public office as some people have actually said um, when it comes to Reverend Warnock and his ability uh, to be United States Senator. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Baptist about an adjective. As I said before, we are not endorsing any candidates, but I I do think that we can stand strongly in saying that we are against religious tests for office. And so I hope that when the runoff election occurs on January 5th, people are, are not voting for one of the candidates because they like their religion or voting against them because they don't like their religion. That gets us into some very dangerous areas, both for democracy as well as for our faith. If you'd like to learn more, there are links to some of these sermons in the show notes at podcast.wordandway.org. You can find out more about BJC at bjconline.org. As always, you'll find us at wordandway.org. And don't forget to check out our sponsoring partner for this week's episode, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship at cbf.net. If you've enjoyed this episode, we hope that you will share it with your friends on Facebook and head over to iTunes or your favorite podcast platform and write a positive review. It really will help more people to find the show. If you'd like to give to support this program, we greatly appreciate it. And all you have to do at wordandway.org is hit the donate button. And whatever you give there will help support the production of this podcast, as well as our website and monthly magazine. And speaking of that magazine, if you're not a subscriber, I have a special deal for you. Get your first year for half off. Just go to tinyurl.com slash wwoffer. If you have any comments or feedback about this program, you can send those to me at bkaler at wordandway.org. 
Thanks for listening.